Our reading this morning comes in two parts, on page 4 and page 12 of the Church Bibles. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, and then Genesis 11, starting at verse 1, pages 4 and 12. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. And as the music group are going to sit down, let's pray. matchless wisdom of his ways that mark the path of righteousness his word a lamp unto my feet his spirit teaching and guiding me heavenly father we do cry out to you for your word to be a lamp to our feet this morning for your holy spirit to guide us as we look at this uh, tricky area of medical technology and how we may best and ethically use it we ask it in jesus name and for his glory amen I thought we'd um, just have a slightly light-hearted beginning uh, to what is actually quite a serious and difficult uh, subject. Uh, what do these um, four science fiction characters uh, have in common? Darth Vader, from Star Wars, of course. Uh, a Cyberman, from uh, Doctor Who. Uh, the Green Goblin, 
uh, who's uh, Spider-Man's nemesis, uh, and uh, the Bourne legacy. Uh, I can't remember his name, but the CIA operative in it. Uh, what do they have in common? Well, Darth Vader, uh, he is a, a human, kind of, uh, with machine bits added to it. Cybermen from Doctor Who, they've got human brains, but apart from that, they're all robot. Uh, the Green Goblin uh, is a human, uh, but he has enhanced capabilities through uh, taking uh, this drug, uh, enhanced strength and brain powers. And then in the Born Legacy, uh, you've got these genetically enhanced CIA agents. So they're all enhanced uh, human uh, beings, enhanced by, uh, I suppose, advanced medical kind of technology. The science fiction and entertainment world has been speculating about this new technology and how it can enhance human beings uh, really for decades now. And often the story uh, involves some misuse uh, of technology uh, and there's a great fear uh, surrounding it. And so many of these characters uh, are really bad characters in these uh, stories or films. But as well as the misuse of technology, science fiction, of course, plays on our desire uh, to better ourselves uh, and to be better uh, human beings. We're addressing the subject today of new medical technologies and asking, are we playing God? So far in these Sunday mornings, when we've looked at ethical uh, questions. It's mainly been in the, the sort of traditional medical ethical dilemmas to do with sort of ending human life uh, or preserving uh, human life. But with the advance of medical technology, there are now many ways that we may be able to enhance uh, human life beyond our usual uh, capabilities. Some have called it making, shaping and faking human life. And with all of this come numerous and uh, some quite uh, difficult uh, ethical uh, issues uh, that come into play. Uh, and so let's just, it's just, just a flavour of some of the new technologies uh, that are here uh, or coming. Uh, and I just picked on three areas. Uh, the first area is the sort of brain-computer interface technology. I don't know how much you've aware, you've become aware of that. With the combination of sort of nanotechnology, that's very small microtechnology, uh, IT and robotics, some remarkable things are being developed. Things like uh, cochlear implants. Uh, this sort of, uh, on the outside you've got a microphone that receives uh, sound, uh, it turns it into electrical signals and this electrode goes right inside the inner ear and wraps its way around inside the cochlea and it actually communicates uh, with the auditory nerves uh, in there and so if your hearing is impaired you can boost it uh, by the use of this electronic technology. It's amazing to think that uh, a human thing can really communicate uh, with the nerve endings so that it's possible to have uh, a kind of uh, simulated sound uh, and improve hearing function. Or the next one is retinal implants, a bit uh, less well developed uh, again, uh, an electrical implant uh, attached either in front or behind the retina that can receive uh, light uh, and convert it to electrical signals uh, that stimulate optic nerve endings and enable the brain uh, to uh, receive a form of basic uh, vision. Uh, it's still not that advanced, uh, but it is amazing, isn't it, that, a, that computers can interact directly 
uh, at the level of electrical signals in our nervous system. Uh, these two are to, do, are to do with sensing things from the outside, but also uh, research is happening in the reverse, where it's possible to uh, pick up electrical activity in the brain associated with particular functions and then transmit it uh, downstream to something like uh, a limb uh, or a prosthetic limb uh, so that you can think and cause something uh, to move uh, that uh, may not be able to. Uh, for example, think of the potential this might have for those with paraplegia or other neurological conditions which affect uh, movement. Uh, it's really remarkable, isn't it, when you think about it? Uh, it is, as well, at uh, an early uh, stage uh, of research. Or another whole area is the area of um, drugs, super drugs, that enhance human capabilities. Many human uh, medicines that we have do remarkable things. Uh, but they're largely about treating disease, removing pathology. But some drugs, some drugs may be able to enhance our capabilities. Now, of course, we are very familiar with the whole issue of performance-enhancing drugs uh, in sport. But there are also some drugs that can enhance mental uh, abilities. So just uh, one example on the screen. Modafinil uh, is prescribed for ADHD, a hypoactivity disorder, and also some sleep disorders. Uh, but in the United States, 90% of its use is not for what it's licensed for, uh, but to improve performance. In other ways, improve concentration uh, and memory for short periods of times. And so it, it, it's being used uh, for things like jet lag uh, or fatigue or helping someone to, to work uh, through the night uh, and not sleep. Uh, or drugs like this are being used by students preparing uh, for exams to help uh, in revision to focus. So there's a whole second area. Then a third area is, of course, genetic uh, technology. Uh, gene therapy is based on the idea uh, that there are many conditions, aren't there, that uh, are caused by a genetic mutation. It may be inherited or it may have spontaneously happened uh, during your development. For example, things like muscular dystrophies, uh, cystic fibrosis. And in gene therapy, the idea is that if you can add a healthy sequence of DNA that produces uh, a protein uh, that, that works rather than a defective one, or if you can replace a mutated sequence of DNA, uh, then you can combat the disease. The challenge, of course, is getting the new DNA into the right body cells to change the way those dysfunctional cells work. When I was at medical school, I was actually involved uh, in a project uh, looking uh, at the possibility of using a virus. This is called the adenovirus. Uh, and uh, what viruses do is they, uh, when they are uh, when they infect us, uh, they actually get inside our cells. Uh, they're very, very simple uh, organisms that have a little tiny bit of DNA, uh, and they actually put their DNA into the nucleus of our uh, uh, DNA. They actually add uh, genetic material to our own. Perhaps you haven't realised that before. It's quite remarkable. And so the theory is, if you can, uh, if you can uh, insert a gene that we have lost or got mutated into one of these viruses and it gets put into uh, your cells, uh, then it can restore function uh, that was lost. So we were doing research on rat brains uh, and it was possible uh, to get new genes uh, to work, uh, although uh, there were huge problems as well with the immune system and, and things like that. And it may, it may progress is being made 
uh, uh, but uh, there's not yet uh, really good clinically effective gene therapies. But nevertheless, these things are remarkable, aren't they? There are remarkable advances in medical technology. And over the last number of years, things are accelerating. Well, what is driving this progress? Prolonging life, pursuing excellence uh, and self-improvement? What, what is driving these things? Well, from a pers- Christian perspective, as we saw in our first reading, uh, human beings uh, ha- always have this uh, desire to tame nature uh, and to improve themselves. And from a Christian perspective, these are good desires. But in the last uh, 300 years or so, Western science has, has really leapt forward. It began uh, in a culture uh, deeply influenced by a Christian worldview. Uh, the Bible teaches uh, that the universe uh, has been made by God, uh, is secure and stable, uh, and so therefore... Uh, we can conduct experiments and expect consistency of results over time. And, and it's this worldview, this Christian worldview, uh, that has really uh, allowed science to grow and flourish. But in recent times, uh, other philosophies have stepped in and pushed Christianity out the way uh, and influenced the way we approach science and the way we seek to use it. And in particular in the West, at the moment, there is a strong uh, emphasis on human individual autonomy. I have the right to choose what I do with my life, what I do with my body. And because of this has come the idea that we should have unhindered access to new technologies to improve uh, our humanity, to enhance ourselves. Uh, With it, of course, is the belief that we are rational enough, intelligent enough, wise enough to make good judgments about uh, these things, that we really have unlimited uh, potential, if only we seize it. Some have gone so far as to uh, create a new philosophy called transhumanism. Uh, there's, a, there's a journal of transhumanism called H+, Humanity+. Plus. We want to make uh, better human beings. Uh, many support this. Uh, James Watson, for example, was one of the two men who discovered the Uh, structure of DNA and won a Nobel Prize for it. He's very in favour of advancing genetic technologies and uh, one of uh, he says this uh, about uh, genetic uh, therapy no one has the guts to say it but if we could make better human beings by knowing how to add genes why shouldn't we? The technology may exist there's great potential why not just go for it? But there are concerns Well, what are some of the concerns uh, that come? When you think about a subject like this ethically, it's important to consider both the the ends and the means. Uh, In other words, what's the motive uh, behind it uh, and what are the results? Well, here are three uh, concerns to do with uh, the results. Uh, The safety concerns uh, about applying new technology. This is, of course, imagined in vivid ways, isn't it, in sci-fi books and films. Some new technology meant to serve humanity gets out of control uh, and wreaks havoc. It's a familiar story, isn't it, with the sort of bad guys in superhero films or in the Terminator films, for example. But it is true that all biomedical technologies carry a risk, a risk of permanently changing or harming us. So drugs 
or brain-machine interfaces which alter mental, mental function may have unintended side effects, and especially uh, if taken uh, during adolescence while the human brain is still developing. Uh, and there are, of course, many other uh, safety concerns. There's also justice concerns, inequality concerns. Imagine, as new special technology to enhance human beings becomes more available, it's likely to be very expensive uh, and so only a few will be able to afford it. So you can just imagine a kind of scenario of an elite, enhanced group of humans uh, emerging uh, who have the power then uh, to control others on top of an already unequal society that we live in. And then, of course, uh, there's dangers of social pressure. So once uh, a technology's use becomes established... Uh, in some people, others may feel pressure to do it as well for academic performance, to keep up with everyone else, uh, or in sport. And we've probably already seen this in some of those sports where there's been widespread uh, doping. Uh, no doubt it's because some people appear to get an advantage and others feel they just have to uh, in order to be able to compete. You can even uh, imagine uh, scenarios. So think, for example, of uh, some of the new technology uh, around uh, uh, genetic uh, counselling, uh, genetic screening of embryos, uh, maybe even genetic modification of embryos before they are implanted uh, in a uterus. Imagine uh, if people, uh, if the technology was good enough that you could have a designer baby, uh, free from all genetic conditions, maybe enhanced uh, in a little way as well. And imagine this became reasonably widespread. You could. Just feel it, can't you, the pressure that you ought to do this. Because uh, if you don't, if you go out in the old natural way, uh, you know, you're more likely to produce children who are unwell. So there could be a pressure. And it's not a million miles away, pressure uh, from these kind of things which may be quite disturbing for us. So there are some of the problems uh, with new technologies in terms of the results. But as you look at the issues at stake with medical technology, we start to get really into the motivations uh, for it and the ethics of the motivations for it. Is it all about trying to make humans better or to make better humans? Traditionally, the medical profession has been about restoring health. So we've seen in recent weeks uh, in the talks here uh, that uh, it's been about alleviating sickness uh, and preventing death. Uh, not taking life. But some of these new technologies go beyond this and we may be able to enhance uh, normality, which hasn't been the approach so far of the medical profession particularly. So what is a biblical perspective? Uh, how does the Bible help us in terms of our motivation uh, with these technologies? Well, we saw in our first reading uh, that it's part of the creation that human beings are called to multiply, to fill, and to subdue the earth. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And as human beings are given this, this mandate by God uh, to rule his world... Uh, it entails putting into practice all of our intellects uh, and abilities, using technology to achieve this purpose, the things that we make and produce. Uh, 
And the biblical worldview, therefore, is one that supports and encourages science. It's no surprise uh, that it was in a Christian culture that science uh, really took off. In the following chapters of Genesis, you see uh, some of the ways uh, human technology is used. So Noah is an example uh, of a benevolent use of technology. He built the ark, he used the, the, the engineering of his day uh, to save animals and his family from the flood. But also you see the dark side to technology in the book of Genesis. And that was what our second reading was covering Genesis 11 and the account of the Tower of Babel. Look at verse 4. These uh, human beings say, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The tower they tried to build may have looked something like this. Uh, It's called a ziggurat. Uh, There were many of these kinds of towers built across uh, the Middle East of that time, particularly in Babylonia, uh, which uh, Babylon is just another name uh, for Babel. But have a look more closely at verse 4 and what is going on here. These builders seem to have two desires. First, to make a name for themselves, and second, to avoid being scattered. So do you see they're not being driven by... God's mandate to subdue the world under his rule, under his loving rule. The biblical way of looking at that is to regard our human uh, responsibility as stewardship. Uh, God is the king uh, and we are his servants uh, and we have been given stewardship of the running uh, of the earth. But here in Babel, it's, it's not about that. It's about rejecting God. It's about humanity without God. It's about unfettered human rule. Uh, and ownership. You can think of their aim uh, here as fulfilling uh, some great dreams that they've got, a technological dream, building a great tower. Uh, And just think of the way this has been repeated actually in in cultures around the world, to show how advanced you are. You build a great tower like the Eiffel Tower or the Empire State Building uh, or the tower in Dubai. But you can also see, can't you, a kind of religious dream. The tower is to reach up to the heavens. It's like these people want to be like God. Follows on, of course, from Genesis 3 and the fall. They want to be like God. And also there's this power associated with human beings working together. This human enterprise has a sort of totalitarian feel about it, doesn't it? Uh, they gang up together against God. Uh, to show how great they are. And yet at the same time, there's something a bit pathetic about it. The tower is built not of stone, but baked mud bricks. And there's bitumen used instead of mortar. And they're concerned about not being scattered, which suggests that even in their pride, uh, they're deeply insecure. And this is always the way with the human race. When we reject God... Uh, and try to exert our own power, deep down uh, there's an insecurity. Deep down there's a guilty conscience about our rebellion against God and our sinful twisting of his good plans as we reject stewardship uh, and want to rule ourselves. And so the Tower of Babel 
if you like, symbolizes the myth of human technology that recognizes no limit uh, to technological potential. Technology that's used to seize God's rightful place as creator and overturn the harmonious created order. It's a story of human collective action, but the action ends in dispersion and chaos. God in his judgment and in his kindness intervenes and thwarts the whole project. Just look at verse 6. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. The unfinished tower stands as a monument to the folly of human arrogance and a sign as well of God's mercy who who intervenes to prevent this technological dream or rather technological nightmare uh, coming to happen. It's interesting in fact in the original to note that the word Babel uh, can mean gate of heaven which is presumably the builder's intention but also it means babble or confusion uh, which reflects God's judgment on it and on their language. So the story of the Tower of Babel helps us to see uh, that there is ethics involved uh, in how we use new new technologies, not just the results of them, but the motivation behind them. Uh, Are we seeking uh, to use God's gifts for his glory uh, and the good of the human race, or are we seeking to glorify ourselves Uh, enhance ourselves beyond uh, the place that God has made for us. Ultimately, the question of the nature of human beings lies behind these issues, uh, doesn't it? The transhumanistic approach, now increasingly driving things, regards human beings as not of any intrinsic physical value, and so they argue we can be free to make of ourselves whatever we want. Sky's the limit. But the Christian view is quite the opposite, As we've seen in these talks on Sunday mornings, we are made in the image of God. And that means we are of very great and precious value. We have great dignity. And yet with this great dignity, there's also a great weakness. We're made of the dust of the earth. Uh, We are dependent on him. We aren't made to be unfettered rulers of the world, uh, but rather stewards uh, of God's creation depending uh, on him even at times in our weakness, uh, as in our frailty. Uh, That's where we are made. So what is the application then of this Christian worldview uh, to medical technology? What hope is there for us rightly handling these these technologies and not seeking to play God? Well, I think the Bible gives us two answers. And the first answer is, is, is nothing to do with medicine at all and is in fact the more important issue Because the Bible uh, describes, after Babel, uh, the whole story of God uh, coming to try and coming to actually redeem uh, people. Uh, God continues to love rebellious humanity uh, and puts in place a solution uh, to save us. First, it's with Israel, uh, uh, saving the nation of Israel, 
And then it's through coming himself uh, in the person of Jesus. And amazingly for our subject, Jesus was truly incarnated. He took a human life, a human body, which gives us great significance, gives our bodies, our whole selves, great significance that Jesus has a human life. And then he died uh, for us in our place, taking the punishment for the rebellion that we deserve, the rebellion that we, acting like those humans in the Tower of Babel, have done ever since. He died for us so that God can call people back, uh, forgiven people, back to him to remake us. And of course, it's really quite significant to see what happens at the day of Pentecost. Uh, People from all over the world are gathered in Jerusalem. uh, And now that the gospel is going out to the nations, what happens? There's a miracle of languages, uh, an ability to speak and hear uh, all the different languages in the world. The barrier uh, of the scattering and uh, confusion of Babel is broken down as the gospel spreads in God and under his loving rule it is now possible for humans to be restored to their ruler uh, and restored to good uh, unity uh, together rather than that sinful unity. And so the implication for us is the most important thing is to make sure that we uh, have turned back to God. We've stopped rebelling uh, and we found forgiveness in Christ. Uh, that, is the, that is the key thing, the most important thing that will then help us when it comes to this whole area of medical technology to seek to use it wisely uh, following uh, God's created way. And so that's the second answer the Bible uh, gives. Uh, we can wisely use uh, the technology that he's given uh, to uh, uh, help Uh, our human lives. In his great kindness, he's given us medicine. Uh, The hope that we have is ultimately for a whole of creation being restored under God's loving rule. But in the meantime, uh, as we await that, he has given us a great blessing of medicine to alleviate suffering uh, and to seek to, in little ways, restore fallen humanity back towards uh, the original uh, creation. The fallenness of humanity affects us in every different kind of way, including our physical way uh, and all kinds of sicknesses. And God in his kindness has given us medicine uh, that can help to restore it. And so this idea of restoration of the image of God, the masterpiece, uh, is a a biblical uh, image. Not so much enhancing uh, the original, but restoring it. And so John Wyatt, a professor of uh, neonatology and ethics, uh, a Christian, uh, has suggested that the, the ethics of art restoration uh, is a really good basis uh, for thinking ethically about medical uh, technology. The art restorer is seeking to restore the original masterpiece, uh, not go and do something uh, crazy and try and enhance it in some way. So just, uh, you may have uh, seen this in the news a little while back, uh, in an old Spanish church, uh, cleaner uh, tried to restore uh, this uh, uh, you know, damaged masterpiece uh, and ended up doing something completely uh, different. Rather, the art restorer is governed by the original masterpiece. So here's a better example. There we go. They're trying to restore what was lost. The materials used, the techniques uh, that they use are to fit uh, with the artist's original intention and design, restore it 
to its former glory. And so that's a really good way of thinking about medical ethics. Uh, We look at the way God has made human beings and we want to try and restore things uh, according to the original uh, glory. I suggest that if we try and uh, take things off in a whole other directions and enhance human beings beyond what they were uh, made, then all of those problems uh, that we mentioned and many more uh, will result. And so the science fiction novels uh, and stories, although in some ways uh, they are very fantastic and you know, beyond reality, yet they are picking up uh, on the dangers of us uh, going away from the way God has made us. Through Christ... God is redeeming humankind. One day he will restore us to our full glory, dealing fully with our sin. But in the meantime, uh, he's given us these abilities, these technological abilities uh, to help alleviate our suffering. And so this restoration image, rather than enhancement, is a is a really helpful rule of thumb when thinking about the ethics of medical technology. So you can think about some of those things I mentioned before. Uh, those exciting new things, and many of them are trying to restore something uh, that was lost. And so it is good for Christians to be involved in their uh, research, promotion, and use. But there are other technologies that are clearly wanting to push us well beyond that. Now, this doesn't mean that it's easy to work out what to do. Some of the ethical dilemmas are very tricky, But in general, when you look at the way ethical regulatory agencies have dealt with things, they have in general been able to distinguish between abnormal enhancement and the normal removal of pathology and restoration of health. This traditional ethic that has come out of our Christian worldview in the West is one that we would be very wise to continue to uphold, to encourage, to encourage our medical professionals to pray for, Uh, and to stand by in our world where many voices are urging uh, something different. I believe that God has given us uh, a better way, uh, a good way uh, that we can live well. Well, let's let's pray, uh, shall we, as we respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and love. We lament our human sin and folly and arrogance. We thank you that, as well as judging us, you have also been very merciful to us in thwarting our arrogant plans, but much more in sending Jesus to save us. So I pray that you'll help us here today. May we all uh, take to heart the message of the gospel and be in right standing with you. And then help us to use, promote, uh, and uh, support ethical use of these amazing technologies you've given us. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.